0: The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. So how many of us, just a show of hands, how many of us have felt, experienced more loneliness, more isolation this year than in previous years. Right? This is a common experience. We've been forced into this um, by by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, We all uh, long for more community. One of the things that I've heard as your pastor so many times, almost on repeat, from You know, the youngest to the oldest is things like, I wish I could just see my grandkids. I wish I could travel across the border and be with my my kids. I wish I could just freely go and hang out with my friends without having to worry about wearing a mask or being distanced. And so it's really easy for us as we are emerging from winter, right? Who enjoyed the warm weather this week? Wasn't that amazing? We're emerging out of our shells and we're beginning to smell spring. And dreaming about being together with each other, you know, doing more summer things and outdoor gatherings and things like that. And it can be really easy for us to think that the antidote for our loneliness and our isolation is found in simply being with people. The gospel writer John here tells us that that can actually only take us so far, that just being with people can only do so much for our loneliness and isolation. I remember a story I heard before the pandemic about someone who was struggling with depression. This person was with people almost all the time. Their job was incredibly social. They were connected to a church community, engaged in the life of the church, felt extremely alone with their own thoughts and their own feelings and their own, the guilt and the shame that was was held up in this. And they didn't feel safe enough to bring it out to anyone. And so what this story, as I was thinking about this text, this story shows us that just being with people is not the solution for loneliness and isolation. We need more. We need people who we can be real with, that we can be ourselves with, that we can share with them the, our roses, our buds, our thorns, right? The things that we're excited about, the things that we're, we're sad and that break our hearts and the things that that, um, that we look forward to. And as, as Mary Jane prayed for, right? we also we need to, to have spaces where we can bring out deep, deep sin in us that, that has grabbed us and captured us. Lent, as I've said over and over over the past few weeks, is, is a time for repentance and renewal, right? It's a time to, to, to do that type of work, but, but with whom and how? Enter Nicodemus, all right? Nicodemus is the man of the hour for us this morning. He comes to Jesus at night because he, he's a Pharisee, and he thinks that Jesus can be someone he can learn from. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform signs that you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus goes on to say to him, you've got it wrong. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just another thing to add to clarify how to follow the, the laws or how to earn your salvation. You have to lose it all. You have to give up and change your mindset with me it's not about getting it right. It's about looking to me for salvation and for everything in your life. And this way of salvation that, that Jesus reframes in the conversation with Nicodemus, that it's not about looking to works or, or to getting it right, but by looking to him and admitting we've got it wrong. That is the key for us as a community to unlock real, transparent, gospel-centered relationships. But how? Okay, so let's look at three things this morning that show us how we can take steps towards deeper, more meaningful gospel community. First, the God of light. Sorry, the first, the triune God of light. Second, the people of darkness. And third, the community of sinners. So those are the three things we're going to look at. First, the, the triune God of light. So this passage, John tells us that that God is light and this is not anything new for people who have been around the church we refer to God as light often uh, in this passage John says this is the verdict light has come into the world right? so he's talking about Jesus Christ God's son as light coming into our world but he also in a different spot in the gospel talks about God the Father as light God is light in him, there's no darkness at all, is what, what John says at the beginning of the gospel. And it's interesting too, if you think about it, Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? At night. And there's some interesting interplay with the darkness and the, Nicodemus coming to Jesus that, that reveals this, this light nature that, that the triune God represents to us. And I remember uh, listening to someone who I know uh, recount their uh, experiences of exploring caves like this one. This one is in Kentucky. And uh, he, this person said that, that these caves that they, they were exploring in Kentucky were so big and so, so deep and so long that they could go hours and hours and hours and not reach the end. And he said to me, there's two important things you have to remember. You have to remember, one, that you always, always, always need to remember which way is out. (laughs) And two is you need to bring a headlamp and a backup. (laughs) Because light is important when you're living in darkness. And this friend of mine shared this experience with me that one time they were deep, deep, deep down in this cave and wanted to feel darkness. I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of darkness before, um, but he shared, I've not, but he, sh- he shared with me that that they, they decided to turn out their headlamps. And he said, he said, Hayden, my hand was right in front of my face, and I couldn't see it. This is the, the most empty, dark feeling that you could ever experience was deep down in that cave. And he said that this, this changed his idea of how important light was for human flourishing. We need it. And, and this is what John is getting at with, with light and darkness. Light is what we need. And light has two primary aspects to it, I think, um, in, in the Bible. The first is that the light of God represents the truth of God. The light of God represents the truth of God. And I've said this before in talking about the Gospel of John, um, one of the sermons that I preached when I almost first came to 1st Hamilton, I brought a big huge Lego car to the front, some of you may remember, and I brought an instruction manual, and I said that Jesus, as the the Word of God, the logos, the meaning behind the universe, the truth behind the universe, is our instruction manual, right? And the Bible is our way that we, we read and we understand that light. And, and the Bible is our instruction manual for life. It's, it tells us about the truth of God, that he's built into the universe, that he's the meaning behind everything and that we have to pay attention to how he's created us. Second is that God as light shows off his morality. Right? In the scriptures, when, when God is... comes to people um, and and shows himself right think of moses in the old testament when he was in the presence of god he came down from mount sinai and his face was radiant because god is holy and holiness is bright and pure you think of when jesus was transfigured on that mountain he turned white bright brighter than the sun the gospel writers describe it right it is shows god's Purity in character and morality This is the God of light the triune God of light But not only is God light, but we were made the Bible teaches we were made to be in relationship with this God of light We were made to be in an open and honest and transparent community with the triune God of light think of in the garden of eden when god would go walking with adam and eve in the cool of the day they were they were there was nothing to hide they were with god it was perfect it was it was what we were made for as human beings we were made for a relationship a transparent relationship with this god of light andy crouch uh, takes that a step further And he says that, that not only were we made for a relationship with the triune God of light, but we were also made to reflect that relationship in how we did things in the world. He says, we were, we are here to reflect the Creator into the creation. To bear the image is to exercise dominion, caring for and cultivating the good world and making it very good through our creative intention. And so we, you know, when John is playing around with this light and darkness, and he's telling us that God is light, that we live in darkness. What he's saying is that we were made to be in a relationship with the God of light. And we were made to reflect that light in how we do schoolwork, in how we uh, live in relationships with, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers. Just like our car runs, thrives, needs gas. Or electricity, I guess, we were created to need to thrive, to be with the God of light. Things take a turn when we forget this. And this is the framework for community. God with us, us with God, us reflecting the character of God to each other in gospel relationships. Nothing hidden everything in the light, everything exposed, everything on display. We were never created to hide from anything. But, but John tells us that we are not people of the light. We are people who prefer darkness. Verse 19 says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light, for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And I think it's so easy for us in the church to think that John is talking about those other people, the people who are outside of the church, who are clearly living in darkness. But the gospel is written for God's people. Nicodemus is a teacher of the word of God and Jesus is speaking to him and John is commenting on this conversation. Like a guitar that eventually goes out of tune. We will all eventually live out of tune with the light of the triune God. We will fall, all fall, into the same trap that Adam and Eve did. See, the Bible tells us that they slipped away from reflecting God's truth and holiness in the world when they took the fruit and ate it. And what happened was loneliness entered the world, right? When they, when they broke that relationship, loneliness, isolation entered the world for the first time. Adam and Eve had something for the first time that they felt they needed to hide from God and from each other, right? They were naked and they felt shame. They knew that they'd broken God's law and they hid And Adam and Eve fell into what I want to call this morning the cycle of isolation This is at the heart of all of most of the struggles that we have with the relationships in our life The cycle of isolation and it begins by by um, Promoting something to the place of God in our lives When we you may be thinking, you know, I'm a Christian I worship God I don't promote anything to the place of God in my life, but it's, it's very possible for Christians that we still do this, and we don't, we don't really recognize it all the time. Consider John Calvin, one of the most important theologians of all time, depending on your tradition, who says something so profound. He says, human hearts are a factory of idols. And I don't think he was— he, I think he was actually speaking from experience there if you, you know, wonder if there are idols in your own life, we can ask ourselves, we can dare ask ourselves the searching question, you know, what do I feel I have to have, or I'm dead? Many times there's things that, that are in the world that we promote the place of God in our lives, and that we think that we have to have, or we're not important, or we're not significant, or we don't have an identity. It begins, the cycle of isolation begins when we promote something to the place of God, and then we become addicted to needing it. We become addicted to needing it. We become enslaved to it. We have to have it. We have to keep getting it. We will serve it, essentially. And then we begin to reflect it. Remember I said we were created to reflect the triune God of light, but when when we fall into the cycle of isolation, our character actually begins to change to reflect the thing that we've promoted to the place of God. We are created to be mirrors, and so we will mirror anything that we put on the throne of our lives. And then we will fail it. We will eventually fail our idols, or they will fail us. And when that happens, they'll leave us in a heap of guilt and shame. This is a cycle that each of us gets caught on. And it leaves leads us into isolation and loneliness. But what does this look like? Well, I thought I'd try to trace out an example. And please, in this example, I'm trying to, 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 to provide a, a, what I think to be a real struggle in, in Christian communities. And so, so try to hear, hear this, and not, I'm not trying to attack anyone in this. But Maggie, Maggie, we'll just call her Maggie, loves her kids. Loves her kids. So much that she, she sees them as a beautiful gift from God. And her and her husband devote themselves to raising godly children. They take their baptismal vows incredibly serious. Maggie delights in making her kids happy and providing them an environment that they can thrive in. And she's constantly receiving compliments from her friends about how lucky her kids are that they have her as their mother. Then she... You know, whenever she hears this, she secretly says, no, they're not the lucky ones. She's the lucky one for having such amazing kids. When her kids do good in school, she feels good about herself. When one of them gets a lead role in the play, she feels like a successful mother. But then something terrible happened. One of her kids walked away from the church. And it broke her. It was beyond painful for Maggie and her husband, who had dreamed, longed, desired, like any good parent does, that their kids will grow up knowing the Lord, and then this. And strangely enough, she became angry at her children. They had failed her. Guilt piled on before God at how she thought that she had failed him in raising godly children. Shame emerged because they couldn't bring any of these things up in their church where people thought they were such perfect parents. And so Maggie and her husband pushed everything under the rug, pretending it was okay, didn't tell anyone about it, but felt utterly alone in their struggle. This is how easily we can get caught in this cycle, in this factory of idols that takes good things in our lives, God-given gifts to be celebrated but put out of proportion and actually blinds us to the gospel of grace. A gospel that is meant to build relationships, build love towards God and us, us to each other. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his Beautiful book, Life Together, talks about how many Christian communities fall into places where we don't have space to be real. And he calls these pious fellowships. He says, the pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner, no one to be broken, no one to struggle. So we must conceal sin from ourselves and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. We dare not have it all together. And so we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. A lot of people have reacted against the pious fellowship in church, which has actually led a lot of people to, to walk away from the church of Christ. But where do we go? How can we find spaces where real transparent relationships can take place? Where there's space to bring our real selves? Some have tried to go the affirming route by just praising tolerance, right? You live your truth, accept everyone. Each person can can decide what's right and wrong for them, and that way there's enough space for everyone to be themselves, and we'll celebrate everyone. But this actually, when we start to dig down, doesn't, doesn't give any more space into bringing their, uh, the things that we struggle with into the light. Because each community, each group of people, each individual person will have things that they agree or disagree with. And what seems tolerant will always have taboo topics. Things that aren't tolerated. Theologians have said the only, the only thing that doesn't work in a culture of tolerance is intolerance. Intolerance to anything. And so reacting by, by, against the pious fellowship is, is, is positive. It's good because that's not a gospel-centered way, but neither is tolerance. Remember the God of truth The God of morality that we were created to be in relationship and reflect. And so what's the third way? Well, I think Nicodemus was recognizing at least the need for the third way. I think he saw that the law without grace was was destructive. I think he saw people of his own kin, of his own people being alienated for failing the law. Or... uh, excluding people of other races or ethnicities, and he came to Jesus for help. And so Jesus draws him to the Old Testament, and he says, gives him a strange story, which we read earlier, about the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, grumbling about their situation, and the boring food that they had to eat. Clearly not trusting God's provision and being thankful that they actually had food in the desert. Elevating their own personal comfort to the, to, the, to the place of God in their lives and God got fed up and he sent Did you hear that? He sent venomous snakes to bite them. I mean, how strange is that, right? <laughs> And, and so as these people are dying from these snakes, they ca- cry out to the Lord and they say, we've sinned. And, and Moses intercedes on behalf of the people to God. And, and God says to him, Moses, make a snake and lift it up on a pole. And when people look at that snake, they will be healed and renewed. I, chalk this up as one of those strange Old Testament stories, right? What, what's going on here? And Jesus brings up this strange story in his relationship, in his story with Nicodemus to talk talk about himself. And he essentially asks Nicodemus, what's up with the snake? How could that save the people? How could they be renewed by looking at that snake? Think about it. Isn't that weird? The answer is yes. And only Only does it lose its weirdness when we see how it's connected to Jesus. Because years later, God would lift somebody else up. The Son of Man would be lifted up. The snake that Moses held that the people looked at was credit on a debit that needed to be paid. And the Israelites were healed of their sin and the consequences of their sin because Jesus would eventually take that bite. That snake bite. Isn't that the same for us? What if we believed more and more each day that the light of the world really, truly, honestly had to descend into your sin and shame, your brokenness, to take the bite of sin on your behalf so that you could be healed? This would humble us. We would have, what if we realized more and more each day that we only lived because we can look not at ourselves, but at Christ. And this is what he had to do. We would then find ourselves in a community of people who know their sin. This is what Christ had to do for us. And in a strange way, it also empowers us. Think about it. He did it. He did it. It's done. We may be wandering through the desert of Lent, but we know that Easter is coming. Amen? The God who created you, who knows you, sustains you. He knows your darkness because he's, he's experienced it. And, and, and he loves you regardless. But what if we really, truly believed that we are the most secure in the arms of Christ? Because he knows all of our crap and went to the cross anyway. He's brought us back into a relationship with God. And, and I think that's, that's key as we enter into relationships with others. Jesus has healed our isolation. That cycle of isolation, he's broken it. He's broken it by his grace. And so we can enter in and be be the voice of Christ to our brothers and sisters in our own darkness. We can help each other break the, the cycle of isolation by giving space for transparency and honesty in our our sin, right? James says to, to confess your sin to one another. Why? Not because we have the power to forgive sins, but because we are able to tell others in clear ways and model the grace of Christ, the love of Christ, the acceptance of Christ in the midst of our sin and brokenness. We are empowered to be a community of sinners. Wouldn't this be a light in a dark, dark world if we learned more and more how to embody this type of community? This is a lot of work. And I'm wondering if there's a a firm foundation of baptism and Lord's Supper that helps us get there. Baptism, right? As Paul said in Ephesians, the passage that that, um, Petra read for us, baptism we were dead and we've been made alive that's what baptism tells us and and as ken left our church right he left us with the words what remember you are the baptized people of god stake your life on that and then come to the table to receive that sustenance that we need right week in week out remembering eating, and drinking, the fact that we are busted, broken sinners, but we're being made new. And there's a promise of a feast that's for us. And it's this table that's set before us, a community of sinners, not a pious fellowship of perfect people. We all come needing to be healed, needing to receive the bread and the cup from the Son of Man. If we take hold of this gospel approach to relationships, it will empower us to grasp more and more a vision of a transformed community of sinners with the power of of the Holy Spirit to do a lot of exposing of darkness and a lot of shining of light in, in a world that is hungering for community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being our Savior, being our Lord, being the one who was lifted up on our behalf that we can look to and be healed. Father, we, we thank you that you descended into our darkness, into our sin, and took the bite of sin that we Deserve so that we could be made new, that we could be healed, that we could be ushered back into a relationship with with you. And Father, um, send us your Spirit that we may take hold of this vision for for community, this vision for uh, relationships that is set before us. And help us, Father, to um, build our lives on the foundation of of our baptism. Into your your life, your death, and your resurrection. As we come to the table today, fill our imagination, fill our hearts with um, the 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 feast that's to come. That this is just a taste of. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.